Hello and welcome to Vet Club. It is going to be uh, an episode today of Journal Club and I'm excited to welcome three new guests today. Three people who have, I don't think, right? None of you guys have been nope. on the podcast nope. before. All right. So this is, this is really exciting. Um, essentially, I, I, I'm struggling to get people to show up for Journal Club. And so I wrangled you guys from, you know, the hallways and people who just didn't look busy enough, uh, <laughs> essentially. So um, three new guests today. So first, um, we have almost Dr. Maria Booman. Hello. Welcome. Almost Dr. Morgan Biggs. Hi. And actual Dr. Marley Nightingale. Hi. Um, so, so, yeah. So, Maria and Morgan, you are, everybody has an M name, I just realized. Mm-hmm. Um, Maria and Morgan are like very close to graduating. Three days. Oh, we're count. Yeah. Three, is it really? Three days. Three actual days? Unless I have a patient over the weekend, but yeah. you know. Oh, like three days. You're not graduating in three days, but like you're no. done with your yeah. requirements yeah. in three days. Okay. I was like, Wait, that's not right. Yeah. I was like, that's, that's a little further away than that. Very exciting. Um, and so we have, um, yeah, we're going to do, we're going to do some journal clubbing. Uh, Dr. Nightingale, you're supposed to be like doing anesthesia, but we stole her away. Um, and so we're going to talk about some of these. So this is like just, it's a ragtag bunch of people talking about some journal. So you guys all had these journal articles for weeks and you've been studying them up and down, right? Thoroughly. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, um, uh, because again, pulled them out of the hallway, uh, like maybe an hour ago, they haven't had a whole lot of time, but they've all been diligently reading these articles. So you have a general familiarity with the articles that we're going to talk about. I, I actually didn't even give you the third article um, because it's a hundred pages and it's really just a reference. It's not an article you read, but the, the three articles that we are going to um, talk about, well, the two articles we're going to talk about and the one that I'll mention, um, the first one is uh, in no particular order. Antimicrobial use guidelines for treatment of urinary tract disease in dogs and cats. Um, And this is Antimicrobial Guidelines Working Group of the International Society for Companion Animal Infectious Diseases. And this is a bit of an older one. This one came out in 2011. Um, But these kinds of um, sort of consensus statements or guidelines, I think, are really helpful resources and good things to be familiar with. Um, The the second one that you guys don't even have, so don't worry about this one. Um, But the second one is, this was the 100-page article, which is why I didn't even... Didn't even, I, I figured you guys might not join me if I gave you this one. Thank but you. this is yeah, a guide to utilization of the microbiology laboratory for diagnosis of infectious diseases. These are the 2013 recommendations by the Infectious Diseases Society of America, the IDSA, and the American Society for Microbiology. And this one has like 6,000 um, authors. That's not true. That's like 15. But um, <laughs> there is about 6,000 um, references on that one, but it's 100 pages. Um, and it, it's just something to be aware of if you're, again, this is from human medicine, but it's like, what should you do if you're trying to test for this or if you're trying to diagnose this and something in that microbiology sphere? Um, and so it's just something to have. I mean, it's long enough. Think of it almost like a textbook, um, but instead of a textbook with like one editor and then somebody does a chapter, this is a bunch of people who got together and said, let's all come together and um, based on the evidence we have, what are best practices for X, Y, and Z? And so it's just a nice reference to have available and just know it exists and that when you have these kinds of questions, go to that rather than just be like, how am I feeling today? Um, and then the the third one, which is, I'm just going to say it. This is my favorite. Um, it's like maybe one of my favorite articles ever. Like I just every, everything I read on this one just makes me really happy. Um, and we'll get to that. But this is the ACVIM consensus statement on therapeutic antimicrobial use in, anim- in animals and antimicrobial resistance. So that's some, some mouthfuls. Oh, and I, 
I got distracted because we have new people. Um, and so I almost forgot, but it's time. <laughs> um, people might be really sad if I forgot to, if I forgot to do that. Um, so yeah, um, it's so much easier when Topher can be here and produce and work the soundboard when it's just me and I have to do all the things. Uh, anyway, so You're doing a great job. <laughs> thank you. Um, she's graduating in three days. She doesn't have to say that. Like I have, I have I no, honestly. yeah, yeah. I have no influence over, um, the next three days. You're, you're not even on today. Like you're just wandering around cause you had the day off yep. and yeah, we're going to have to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> just today. All right. Uh, just today. Normally, Maria, you would, we would definitely stay home when you had a day off. Yeah, <laughs> sure. That, that, there you go. We had all the answers we needed. For no, that. usually I am working. I promise. No, I believe you. No, but you had the day off. I'm actually saying you shouldn't be here if you have the day off. It's a long story. Oh, okay. Well, that's a different podcast. Um, so uh, let's start, uh, which one do you guys want to start with? Your choice. The antimicro the specific one for UTIs, or do you want to do the general antimicrobial one first? First uh, one to speak gets to choose. I think we should start with the UTI. One. I love it. I think that's a good idea. Um, so, all right, Morgan, you spoke up first. What uh, What's your general like? What's What was your take home from that? Like, what were you like? Oh, this is what I think about this. What What's your thoughts? Well, I I honestly didn't get too far into it before we had to come over here. Um, but definitely in the first section, it was talking about simple, uncomplicated urinary tract infections. And um, it says, in most situations, initial therapy should consist of amoxicillin as an empiric um, while awaiting culture. Right. Um, which I think most people, you know, it's pretty widely accepted thing to do you know is to start treating empirically yeah when you have a uti um case would you say it's pretty widely accepted to get the culture every time you can say what you're thinking no. Yeah, yeah no honestly yeah. No, yeah yeah absolutely that's that's okay like we're gonna say that that's the whole point like, is, i think no the, that's not at the teaching hospital in this in our little ivory tower tower here we do typically try to I do i think that. we try to yeah. yeah i think that's the key is try mm -hmm. to yeah Right. I mean, there's always going to be, you know, legitimate reasons why you can't or don't. Um, but, you know, we yes, we are the ivory tower. Um, and there are sometimes and, and, you know, you guys have all worked with me at various times. I think, you know, that I'm not like we have to do everything all the time just for the sake of it. Um, but there are circumstances and there are situations where like we have good evidence for what the best practices are and when we have good evidence that this is what you should do in this situation then it's like this is what we should try to do um so you know if you're out there in practice again it's easy to come up with reasons um why we can't but there's there's a difference between not recommending something there's a difference between that and not offering something. And there's a difference between that and just not doing something. So you can recommend, this is what we should do, right? Um, and then for all sorts of reasons, the client can decline that. Um, or the patient can just not cooperate and be like, sorry, uh, my bladder is too tiny and you can't get a sample. Or they're fractious and, you know, the owner doesn't agree to sedate. You know, whatever. You can come up with reasons not to. But that's very different between not recommending it. And I, I think there's also a difference between recommending something and offering something. And when there is a clear, this is better than that, we should make recommendations. When there's like, oh, what's better? You know, it's like if you're, you're choosing between, hey, do you, we have two medications and either one are reasonable, maybe based on this. And this one is liquid and this one is tablet. 
that's, you offer them choices, right? That's where you're like, these are, as far as I can tell, equivalent options, that's fine. But when you're like, this is better, I think we're sometimes afraid to make recommendations. And, um, and again, there's a lot of stuff where we don't know, and then, then that's fine. But when we do, or when we have pretty good evidence supporting it, we should just be like, this is what we should do. This is the right thing to do. This is the best thing to do. Yeah, I actually... I have some commentary on that. Because I love it. That's what we're here for. One of my externship preceptors, mm-hmm. one of the things he kept talking about was how at the beginning of his career, he's been a veterinarian like, I don't know, eight to 10 years now. Mm-hmm. And he didn't offer things. Yeah. He said, no, there's no way that, you know, he, he has a- He made assumptions. Exactly. He, had a, mm-hmm. he has a mixed animal ambulatory practice and he wouldn't offer, you know, this goat has foot rot. There's no way like- I'm this just going to pair it out. They're not going to do yeah. anything for it. Yeah. They're or, not going to do the gold standard. Exactly. Yep. But then I rode with him and as the years went on, he found, oh no, I, I can. If, in fact, I can just do it a lot of the time. Yeah. Take the sample, do the thing that I got to yeah. do. And, and people um, will be like, okay. We had a case of a, the expert. Of a chicken mm-hmm. with some weird facial dermatitis. Yeah. And he took samples of it and he put it on some empiric therapy. Um, and that day we spent between four and $600 on a chicken. Yeah. And, and the how owner the, didn't even blink. Yeah. And cause we make these assumptions. Yeah. Oh, you're not going to spend this much on this or these people, you know, you, we make judgments and we have our own biases, yeah. right? We make our own assumptions. We all do it for all sorts of reasons. Somebody drives up in a certain type of car or they're dressed a certain way mm-hmm. um, or they talk a certain way. And we make assumptions about what they can and can't afford or what they, what they do and don't value. Yeah. Um, and we don't give them the choice. And again, but there's still a difference between recommending and offering, right? right? And if I say here, here's the best thing we can do. And they say, whoo, we're not sure we can do that. Okay. All right. Here, now here are other options. And that's super reasonable. That doesn't mean I'm judging you. Like I get it. Like people have to make tough choices all the time, but they need to know, right? Like if I don't even give them the option of this is the best thing, I've taken their choice away. Yeah. And And that's super unfair. I think that's also something worth pointing out in academia and in teaching hospitals is that Mm -hmm. we learn the gold standard. We learn the perfect treatment. Uh Uh-huh. And oftentimes, I had a conversation about this with a friend yesterday, how we don't learn the alternatives. Yeah. What What is the next step below that? Sure. Where is the middle ground that I can try to find? Yeah. How much money do you have? How much time do you have? Right. Like, are you going to be that owner that will put the gloves on for every chloramphenicol treatment to give mm-hmm. this cat? Or is that just not even a possibility yeah. for you? Well, and that's just having that conversation too. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that... It, it is easy to forget that, especially, I don't know, I'm, I'm biased, obviously, but in ER, we run into this all the time, right? And so even though I'm in the ivory tower of the university setting and I want to offer the gold standard every time, we do frequently run into, you know, Marley's not on her head, she knows. Like we frequently run into people like, yeah, that sounds lovely, but we can't do it. Um, however, when we kind of select and the specialty services select, like people say, Hey, I'm going to refer you to uh, you know, a, a neurologist or an internist, and it's probably going to cost this. Those people get weeded out before they ever make it to the specialist. Right. So they're like, well, I probably can't afford that. And that's good. I'm not saying they should be sent over with unreasonable expectations, but it means that some of those specialty services aren't seeing those cases where 
you have to work on a budget and you have to maybe figure out what corners can be cut and where can you kind of, you know, you know, squeak by. And so from a, a teaching standpoint, yeah, you guys miss out on a lot of that. Yeah. Um, you miss out on a lot of that. How, okay. Well, that's cool that I'm here working with a cardiologist and learning what to do when I have all the tests and all the answers, but what do I do when I don't? Um, how do I get through that? And, and so there is that whole, you know, spectrum of care. And just because somebody can't afford to do everything or doesn't have the time or the, the wherewithal to do all the things doesn't mean they don't deserve, you know, opportunities for care. Absolutely. Um, and so I think even the people writing this recognize that this isn't going to happen every time, but as you know, the vet you worked with realized over the years that, you know, people are often willing to do more than we give them credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if we make a recommendation, because if you present me with two options and you present them as if they were equivalent and one is half the price, why would I choose the more expensive one? You know, now it, some people will make the assumption the more expensive one is probably better. That's not always true, even in medicine, right? Like, you know, we don't do a full body MRI on every patient that comes in it would be more expensive. It'd be probably a pretty good revenue generator, but, um, but that wouldn't be appropriate. And so more expensive doesn't always mean better. Um, but I think it's our job to be very clear. The best thing we can do for your cat, for your dog, for whatever in this moment is this, here are the reasons that we might not be able to do that. Like if we try to get a sample, we can't. Um, but, but here's what would be ideal. What are your thoughts on that? You know? Um, I mean, you've, you've run into this Marley, like, you know, how often would you say, um, you know, when you make a clear recommendation that clients are just like, nah. Um, I mean, most of the time it's because of other reasons. It's not usually like "Mm, a lack of, yeah, it's like, (laughs) I just, you know, this isn't my favorite cat. So it's usually, they just can't do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, we can't afford that. Like that makes sense. What you're describing makes sense. But, and they usually, I don't know, my experience usually they, they kind of feel bad. Like most of the time they're like, yeah, Yeah, they definitely want to do what's best and what we recommend. So, yeah. And that is tough. And it's something that I definitely learned, um, after graduation, like Maria said, like in school, we're taught this is what you do and not really what you do if that doesn't work. Yeah. And so it's been definitely a learning curve, yes. um, but uh, ER is definitely the place to see that, I think. Yeah. I, again, and it's just the nature of it, right? Like community practice, you know, here you're going to see a lot more of that as well. But the other services you're, we are, that we have like a process for weeding out the people who can't afford all the things. And, um, and so you do miss out on some of those. Okay. But I'm going to go out there and work, in the quote unquote real world, what do I do when that can't happen? And so for those of you that are still in school and not about to graduate in three days, my advice is when you are working with those specialists, ask them those questions. So you're like, Hey, this is all really well and good, but what about I'm out there and I'm working, I'm the you know practitioner and I'm not a specialist um, in this particular field and I'm working and somebody says, Hey, that all makes sense to me, but we just can't afford it. I, that's wonderful that you want to refer me to the specialist, but I can't do that. What do I do in that situation? I mean, ask them those questions. You know, you're paying them for that. So that's my advice. Um, again, it's a little late for you. You can still ask though. You guys can always call, right? When you graduate, you know, you can always call back and be like, hey, you know, I'm still paying for <laughs> that education I got. I have a few extra questions. <laughs> call back and consult with the specialists or, you know, wherever you're practicing, you know, whatever the nearest specialty hospital, um, most of them will, will consult with you and, and help you with those types of things. So if you didn't ask all of those questions that you had, or maybe just you didn't come across all those cases. Um, and now you're like, oh, crap. I, um, I know, I know what to do if they have thousands of dollars, but what if they have dozens of dollars, then what do I do? Um, so, but yeah, um, 
we got a little philosophical there, but what, um, so that was, that was probably, you know, I think the biggest game changer kind of thing is the, even for quote unquote, simple, uncomplicated urinary tract infections, the advice is get a culture. And why is that so important? Because with a culture, you'll get a susceptibility screen as well. And, uh-huh. and that will often guide you into the appropriate antibiotic to use yep. for that. Now, but you're not going to wait for those culture results, right? In which case you start empiric treatment with monocillin. Yeah, so you're going to start empiric treatment. Um, but if it's not working, by the, then you already have that kind of kind of planned. Mm-hmm. You're like, okay, if this isn't working, I've got a backup plan for, um, you know, what would we go to next? Or I have right. something pending. So that's nice. Why else is submitting the culture super important? In case they get reinfected, so you can determine if it's the same bacteria or something yeah. new. Yeah, if you don't clear it important. up. Yeah. So what if this starts out as a simple, un- uncomplicated, but then later becomes not simple and uncomplicated? I know some people who don't think that exists. Simple, uncomplicated UTIs like shouldn't happen. Um, it, it's a bit con- like I don't. It's hard to prove that. Like if you can't find an underlying cause, it's hard to you know just be like. Oh. But um, but they really shouldn't be happening. I was actually surprised um by their. One of their definitions early on. Okay. So on the, like the second page, when they're talking about simple, uncomplicated urinary tract infections, and they're defining this. Um, so simple, uncomplicated is a sporadic bacterial infection of the bladder in an otherwise healthy individual with normal anatomy and function. The presence of relevant comorbidities or three or more episodes per year indicates complicated or recurrent. Like three or more a year seems like a really high bar to set. I would like... You're having, I don't know, like two, if you're, if you're having more than one in your life, I feel like this is all, I don't know. Um, speaking of somebody who's had a urinary tract infection before, like, ugh, um, they're awful. Like they're mm-hmm. so awful. And even though systemically you're fine, like it's miserable. And, um, I was just surprised that that was the bar that they had set. Like it, they didn't really explain where that comes from. I feel like it's probably pretty arbitrary. Um, but I'm like, if you're having two a year, for every year of your life, this is not simple and uncomplicated. Now, again, this, you have to come up with a cutoff somewhere. Um, but I think if you have one a year, you're like every June, you know, I get my, my annual UTI. Like that seems weird. Um, so that, that was kind of odd. But um, any other reasons why doing a culture is super duper important? I mean, depending on what you get on that first, first culture, I mean, when you reculture, if it's mm-hmm. something different, yeah, then... Nope. Yeah. Where did that come from? <laughs> yeah. I think the other thing for me, um, that I, the point I would like to drive home is what if it wasn't a UTI at all? Hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think they did a good job in this article. Uh, you know, and now if you're talking about dogs, you know, we're maybe more inclined to worry about a urinary tract infection when we have the typical lower urinary tract signs of, you know, pain on urination, palacuria, strangery, all that stuff. But in a cat, you're like a cat comes in with lower urinary tract signs and is otherwise systemically fine. Your first thought is blocked idiopathic cystitis. Yeah. Idiopathic cystitis. And maybe it's blocked, um, especially if it's a male. Um, but even in a female, like that, that should be your first thought is this is a sterile cystitis. Um, and I don't know about y'all, but, uh, I frequently hear from like friends and relatives that their cat has been diagnosed with a UTI. And my first thought when I hear that is, well, this is about to get awkward um, because I either ignore that, 
if you guys know me enough to know that's probably not what I do. <laughs> um, or, and, and this is something you're going to run into as well, or you're going to have to be like, oh, okay, I'm going to need a little more information because I am not convinced that your cat has a urinary tract infection. Um, and it's awkward because they're like, what? You know, and they're always like, do I have a bad vet? And I'm like, no. Um, like not, not based on that alone. You might, I mean, I don't know, but, um, but not just based on that, but this is a, such a common mistake that I see made, especially in cats, lower urinary tract signs that seem very much, and they are identical clinically to a urinary tract infection. This, the, they are identical. And I think they, they tried to emphasize that in this paper that the clinical signs alone do not diagnose a urinary tract infection. Um, it could be idiopathic cystitis if it's a cat or a human woman. Um, it could be bladder stones. It could be, I mean, there's all sorts of other things. And so just the urinary tract infection. And then they talked about the utility of um, just looking at urine under the microscope. What's the problems there? You can still have contamination. We well, can have contamination. Yeah, like there's so many problems that even if you see bacteria and white blood cells, you have pyuria and bacteriuria, you haven't fully confirmed this yet um, because one, people are wrong sometimes. You make mistakes, you misinterpret. You have um, contaminated stain or, you know, how is the sample collected? Um, there's other reasons for the pyuria. And so I think they tried to drive that point home because a lot of people want to diagnose a urinary tract infection based on a urine sediment. And they're saying no, um, because the evidence is that we're not that good. And it's not even that you out there, whoever's looking at this, you're bad at this. It's like we, collectively, we are not that good. Um, yes, you can get better and the better trained you are, the the maybe more reliable that is. But even people who are really well trained, this is not perfectly reliable that what you have is a urinary tract infection. And I think there's a misunderstanding that that's true. Um, but I, I've had, you know, um, friends and, and relatives tell me about their cat and it's like all they found was pyuria. Like that was, there was not even bacteria seen. Um, and they made an assumption and then they treated, you know, for a long time with antibiotics. And it's like, cool. What a great way to add stress to a cat with probably a syndrome that is precipitated by stress. <laughs> Yay, let's pill it twice a day for the next two weeks. Um, cool, that should be great. Uh, so again, I think these things are really important and it's this is not ivory tower medicine. This is actually like, hey, let's make everything better. Let's not treat patients unnecessarily. Let's, um, let's make sure we're kind of getting to the bottom of this. And you know, you'll get away with it, right? If you give a cat antibiotics for idiopathic cystitis, that cat's going to get better because it's going to get better whether you did it or not. And you're going to look like the hero. Your vet's going to, or your, your clients are going to be like, yeah, every time I do this, she gives me this and it gets better. Just like um, diarrhea. Just like diarrhea. <laughs> yeah. Um, listeners know about that one too. Um, it's come up once or twice. So um, really for me, it comes down to like, what kind of vet do you want to be? You know, um, again, not ivory tower medicine. That's not what I'm talking about. It's like, what are our recommendations? Because collecting a urine sample for culture is not ivory tower medicine. It's just not. Um, now, the complicated stuff, I think, you know, there's good stuff in there. Like, what do I do when this is recurrent, when there um, is an underlying comorbidity? But I don't think those are controversial. I don't think those are the things that people are like, oh, yeah. I, everybody's like, yes, now we need to, to up our game. But really, you don't because your game should have always been <laughs> culture and, you know, do, do these really just culture. Okay, here's my question for you guys. You have a patient that comes in with lower urinary tract signs. Um, we'll do... We'll do, I'll ask this question for a dog and then I'll ask it for a cat. So both of these questions are coming. So you have 
just the tiniest amount of urine in it enough that you can either do a urinalysis or a urine culture. And the animal presents with lower urinary tract signs, eating, drinking, otherwise acting normally, but just lower urinary tract signs, strangeria, plaqueuria, maybe um, uh, pigmenturia slash hematuria, um, dysuria, all the things. Uh, physical exam is otherwise pretty normal. Maybe they're a little uncomfortable on abdominal palpation uh, near the bladder. You have just enough urine or maybe just enough funds to either do a urinalysis or a urine culture. Um, okay, so we're going to start with dog and we're going to go around the table this way. So Maria, you are first. Culture or urinalysis? Culture. Culture? What do you think, Morgan? Okay, we're skipping Morgan for a second. Marley? <laughs> I think I'm going to go with culture. Culture? Are you going to go think, with the group? I think urinalysis. You're going to go with urinalysis? so. All right. So you guys didn't all come to the same consensus. So now you have to duke it out and figure out. So what's your reasonings now? Well, you could do like abdominal radiographs to look for stones, mm -hmm. um, you know, and that would be a good thing to sure. check, assuming that they it's have the just a quantity that. problem. Okay. Yeah. We'll go with the quantity. <laughs> not a fund problem. Okay. Um, abdominal ultrasound as well. Of course, you sure. have to have that available. Uh-huh. Um, but you but only have enough urine for one. You're, you were going to go with a culture, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's your reasoning for the culture over the urinalysis? Well, I mean, even if you see bacteria on the urinalysis, just like we've been talking about, that doesn't confirm uh -huh. uh, infection. And okay. if we think that's most likely, then doing the culture, I think, is going to be more beneficial for us okay. treatment-wise. Anything to add, Maria? I think going back to one of the points you made earlier was long-term if this is a simple UTI uh -huh. and based on the definitions that they have in this paper, actually, if there is a reinfection or a relapse of disease, mm -hmm. I will know, is this the same bacteria? Uh -huh. If I do it again, if I can do another culture uh -huh. or is it something else? Okay. And if it is something else or if it's the same thing, like what happened before? Sure. I, I think it would set me up for a better future if this fail issue. if this first plan fails or if this doesn't work yeah. you want to be prepared for that okay all right morgan you were different and i appreciate that have they convinced you or do you have your own argument to say they're you know, wrong i think i'm i might stick with ua because i know we're talking about like potentially an uncomplicated yeah but our discussion before was kind of centered on is there a predisposing factor and i feel like a ua could give us a little bit more information. Like, is there glucose in the urine? Like, mm -hmm. are there, is there a lot of protein? Like, mm -hmm. is there something else? You know, I think there's just a, a little bit more in terms of the factors we can, the yeah. information we can get yeah. rather than just what kind of bacteria is it? Yeah. I, I don't know if this question has an answer. Um, just, you know, but it's one of those things, like you said, what happens when you're in that situation, either if it's financial or if it's just, a, you know, how much urine do I actually have? We run into that. You have, you know, a, a couple of drops and it's like, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to be like, I want a urine specific gravity. And then the rest is a culture. <laughs> That's how I'm going to go with it. And you're right, Morgan, that th we're missing some other pieces of information. Um, for me, if this really is truly at this point, as best we can tell, an uncomplicated, like animals otherwise systemically healthy and, and, and eating and drinking and acting normally, I'm going to play the odds and say, this is a dog and, and you know, maybe it is a, a urinary tract infection. I'm probably going to uh, go with the majority here and say, I'd want a culture. Um, but I don't, that's not like, that's the right, there is no right answer for this. It's just, you know, kind of where are you coming down? And you might miss something. You're like, oh crap, well, we missed the glucose area. And it turns out this dog is diabetic and we've missed that completely. And he's been urinating in the house um, because he's got diabetes and not because he has a UTI. Like we, you can, 
can I can come up with all sorts of scenarios where that was the wrong thing to do. And hopefully in most situations, you're not, you know, stuck with that. Um, and uh, but yeah, it's just something to think about. Like, what are you going to do and why? The why is really what matters. Okay, now we're going to do that again. Um, I'm going to say this is a financial thing. Okay, so now you can't you can't do other tests. Sorry, Marley, um, you're stuck with you have just enough urine from a cat with lower urinary tract signs, and you can do a urinalysis or a urine culture, but you cannot do any imaging. What are you going to do, male or female? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. I, I, you, you tell me how that changes it for you. But okay, so Morgan, you're going to get to vote first this time. Okay. I think in this case with a cat, um, I'd probably go with culture. A culture? Okay. Yeah. All right. Maria? Hmm. I love that you're th- it, it, it wasn't just like there's obviously an answer you're thinking about it, which is good. Everybody's like, uh, not sure. Marley, do you have your answer? No, we're still thinking about yours too. I will also go with the culture. Culture, okay. Yeah. We got a double culture. Are you going to be different? I mean, I still feel like a culture would be good. I feel okay. like male cats are more likely to get like crystals and mucus uh-huh. plugs and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this cat is not blocked, by the way, because okay. again, remember, it was eating, drinking, healthy, it was normal and physical exam, maybe some discomfort on the bladder. Probably culture then, because culture. what we talked about earlier with the idiopathic yeah. cystitis. Yeah, okay. I mean, honestly, I was like, yeah, I, I would probably not even worry about either of them. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to assume this cat has idiopathic cystitis and I don't need either of them um, because I'm not going to treat this cat with antibiotics. And so if his signs aren't getting better or her signs aren't getting better in a few days, I can try again to get a, a sample and culture it at that point. But I'm not going to start antibiotics. Um, so in this one, I'm like, you can flip a coin. Um, and do either because I, if I do a urinalysis, like, what do you expect to find? Maybe a couple crystals. Blood, maybe some crystals, Mm -hmm. maybe some inflammation. There's going to be some pyuria, probably some hematuria, maybe some crystal urea. But how much of that is telling you there's a legitimate problem here? Like the pyuria. I mean, the cat's already told me there's a legitimate problem. Exactly. Like, is it narrowing down from what you're seeing clinically? I don't think so. And that's why I'm like, meh. Like if, if I can't get any urine on this cat, I'm still going to be like, this is probably idiopathic cystitis, right? Now, I think your argument earlier for the for the dog to like do imaging to look for stones and things like that, if that's in the budget, absolutely. But there's going to be plenty of animals that come in because they have lower urinary tract signs. They're peeing all the time and their bladders are frequently empty. And so it's very common that you just can't get a sample. You can't get any sample at all. And, um, and you know, if it's a cat, your default should be, wait and see, you know, give some pain medications um, because he's probably uncomfortable and then just wait and see. Uh, I, it is rare that those diagnostics are going to change my treatment plan. Um, now, if this is complicated, right, this is now, you know, it's got a confirmational issue or um, I, it's been, you know, frequently repeating and I haven't checked for stones. Like there's other things that are going to maybe change that. Now I do maybe want a culture if there were stones present or something, but for a typical first time offender, uncomplicated cat with lower urinary tract signs, I'm like, eh, probably none of these things are going to change what I do. Um, so is you, what you should do, what you should recommend is collecting urine, doing a urinalysis and a urine culture and like all of those things. That way, that's what you should recommend. But if the cat isn't cooperating because he's peed everything out um, or the clients can't afford it, I'm like, cool, spend the money on the buprenorphine, you know, um, because that's, that's the, the, what's the opposite of the ivory tower? 
is that like a tin tower? Is that, <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> Aluminum it's, foil It's tower. an underground, you know, cellar. <laughs> a <what>? bunker. <laughs> a bunker. Yeah. Okay. In the, in the real world the of bunker, bunker medicine, bunker. Yeah. <laughs> the, the bunker medicine, you're just going to give them some pain meds, you know? And, and that's fine too. Um, so I think it is good to like think about, okay, that's great, but you should still recommend these things. But usually I have the conversation is here's what we should do. I don't know if we're going to be able to do that. So this is what I would like to do. And we will see because your cat's bladder is really small. Now, like one of my, one of my low key superpowers is getting urine from animals with really, really tiny empty bladders. It's like one of my favorite things to do. People are like, there's no urine to get. And I'm like, we'll see about that. Good superpower to have. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty, it was like hang tight. Now I use an ultrasound. So it is, you know, I have a sidekick, I guess. <laughs> um, but like I can usually get a drop or two. And, and so it might be enough for a urine specific gravity and a culture. <laughs> and so, um, but it's hard. Um, and I've even sometimes not been able to, to, to get it when I want to, but um, so I think, you know, these kinds of articles are really, really helpful, um, as just a reminder sometimes, um, I really love what you shared at the beginning, Maria, about, you know, the experience you had traveling with a, a, a mobile mixed mm. animal veterinarian and saying, I, you know, it's unfortunate that it took him, you know, several years to kind of come to that, but better late than never. And it was lovely that he could impart that wisdom on you and say, you know, I made these mistakes early on because we've all done that. And we've all made those assumptions and judgments and learned later that we were super wrong. Um, so it's really nice that he's come around and be like, no, now I, I recommend the best things and, and people often yeah. are cool with that yeah i think it's you know i've faced that myself um i'm a 27 year old soon to be doctor mm -hmm. like yeah but my dog needs a total hip replacement and i'm gonna spend <laughs> the ten thousand dollars on it Whew. Whew. it's gonna happen yeah. and i would have assumed she's not gonna be able to do this <laughs> i mean i would have and and i like to think i would have made that assumption in the back of my mind <laughs> and that's that's fair yeah I mean, well you want to be prepared right well that's like, the thing is we're human we're not yeah. a, we you can't expect to never make assumptions about people right. that's just not fair but it shouldn't change your behavior exactly it shouldn't change what you offer still them. offer still make yeah. the recommendation say yeah. look this is going to happen if you yeah. don't do it this way yeah yeah and no, I mean, I always yeah. assume when students come in, because I'm knowing like when I was a student, I couldn't have done any of these things. So I make I make those assumptions. And um, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to make the recommendations. Um, I actually it's, it's an important thing for me when when a client has told me that money is an issue, like they have said up front, like money is money is going to be an issue. And then I get a little bit of information. Maybe we do. And then I get information that this is going to be expensive. I still tell them that because even with that, sometimes when faced with those options, they go, okay, um, we need to talk about it. And some people figure out different ways. They come up with another option. They call a friend, they call a family member. They go, well, we were going to go on this vacation. That's now canceled. Like there's if you don't give them the choice, like you just don't want to take people's choice away. Um, unless it comes to prescribing antimicrobials and then I want to take all people's choices away. Um, okay. So that's my segue into the, the second article, which is like just one of my favorites. And I say that not, I don't know these people. I know one person on the paper and not very well. Um, but yeah. Okay. So we're going to talk now about the consensus statement, the ACVIM consensus statement, just in general on therapeutic antimicrobial use in animals and antimicrobial resistance. So um, I've already, you know, told you guys that I, I love this and I think it's amazing. Um, what were your guys's kind of thoughts, take homes? I saw there were some highlighters out earlier. I highlighted a couple things that I'm like, I want to read verbatim and I want to like maybe get a tattoo of. Um, <laughs> um, but what were the things that stood out to you guys? 
Morgan, you got a lot of a lot of highlighting. Don't read all the highlighted parts that I <laughs> Are can you see. Sure? Okay. I'm pretty sure we don't have time for that. But um, what were some of the things that stood out to you? Let's see. Let me pick one. What page are you on? Where was all that highlighting? Uh, this is that was a busy page. 489. 489. It's a good page. Oh, I had zero highlighting on this page. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, so I, it, yeah, it's just different things. There might, might be things that I was like, oh, this is really good. You guys were probably highlighting with a different goal in mind. Um, I was highlighting like, these are statements that should be read out loud on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so what were the, the, what were the kinds of things you guys were um, highlighting and finding most important for you? One thing that I feel like we run into a lot mm-hmm. um, is these kind of like over the counter medications Ugh. that people get from like Petco or yeah. Tractor Supply or whatever. Right. Um, yeah, and obviously, <laughs> that's yeah. not something that we usually yeah. recommend. That's one of the things I highlighted. Over the counter <laughs> access to antimicrobials from sites such as feed supply stores or pet stores is contrary to basic concepts of prudent and effective antimicrobial use and could constitute an animal welfare concern, blah, 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 blah. So fun fact. Why do we still let that happen? Fun (laughs) fact. I don't. I'm from a country where you can get over-the-counter antimicrobials regularly. Not all of them, but a lot of them. But a lot of them. Yeah. I know. When I lived in South Africa, I was like, you can just, wait, what? You can Mm -hmm. just decide you have asthma and get treatment for it. Like, just go and get I regularly got Clavamox as a child when I had a cold. Yep. Because that's what was- That's what you do. That's- that's what my mother was told to do. Yeah. And so she did. Yeah. And so, Look at me now. you know, do you have IBD or something? <laughs> if I you do, not. you totally can blame your mom later. When I really happens. hope not. Yeah. When it happens later, if you get like one of the, yeah, I would call my mom and be like, this is on you. No, you shouldn't do that. I'm, I'm teasing. Um, but there are studies that are linking some of those things, like yeah. the, some of the food intolerances that we have to antimicrobial use for like all the kids that get ear infections and mm-hmm. things like that. And um, Yeah. Yeah. Don't recommend it. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One star. <laughs> Zero out of 10. Do not recommend yeah, That's right. Um, so yeah, that one just, I think it gets under most of our skin. Like, uh, or my favorite is when, so I had some leftover uh, doxycycline. And so I just, and you're like, Whoa. <laughs> okay. One of the other things that I actually kind of liked was um, there's one part that says our MDR pathogens are multi-drug resistant pathogens, more virulent than their susceptible yeah. counterparts. I was not expecting this to not be true. Right? So that was really cool. But when you think about it, it makes sense. It does. So one of the- They're not more virulent. They're just yeah, resistant. Resistance too. and virulence are <laughs> right. two different features exactly. of a bug. And yeah, that'd be like saying, you know, the common cold is, if it's resistant to antivirals, is worse than COVID. It's like, well, no. Well, so that that's one of the things that I highlighted here was- the presence of a multi-drug resistant pathogen alone is not an indication for the use of more recently developed drugs versus earlier antimicrobials to which the bacterium might be susceptible or longer durations of the treatment. Yeah. You know, like my initial thought was, okay, if I've been treating it with something or I find that it's a, a weird little bacteria, then, mm-hmm. oh, I got to do, I got to do something fancy. You yeah. Know? We got to. Yeah. Maybe Clearly. not bust out the bank, but like. Maybe. But, but yeah. Maybe one day. Will. Yeah. Bust out the bank. <laughs> yeah. Um, but and that, yeah, but really, what's the question you have to ask? Are there clinical signs? How is the patient doing? Yeah, like what's going on with the patient? Yeah. Um, I love. I mean, it's very provocative, and I love it. It's just like, should we be treating at all? 
I mean, even in the back to the other paper, it says with the subclinical yeah. bacteria. Yeah. Even if it's resistant and they're yeah. subclinical. Just leave it be. Because mm -hmm. maybe you will allow the bugs to fight out their own thing and you'll get that resistant one. Be like, get, get you know kicked out of the, the schoolyard and then you can come back and take out the one that you can treat. Like let the bugs do the first, you know, part for you. Like how but many cattle with BRDC never get treatment? That's BRDC. Bovine respiratory disease complex. Cool. Thanks. Here I was cool. like wrong podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, is that like kennel cough? Um, no, it's okay. So Meaning like it's a complex of a bunch of potential diseases that we're just like, it's yeah, a cold. Yeah. It's a cow cold. It's, it's usually predisposed yeah. by a couple of viral pathogens. Okay. And then they may get a bacterial. Yeah. So it's a lot of normal flora that get yeah. associated with yeah. it. Something stressful. So happens it sounds like kennel coughs. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's just, it's, you know, it's different when it's in a 3000 head herd. True. Um, but it, it's, that's something that we talk about a lot on necropsy actually is like, it's a very common disease to come yeah. in. Yeah. You know, dead calf found in the morning yeah no previous signs no there were signs you just couldn't see them because you have you know 300 head of cattle exactly yeah but also how many of the other animals are affected and guess what they're not getting treatment and they're going to be just fine yep 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 no I, I herd health actually is a lot of the times much better at this kind of stuff mm -hmm. and being like leave it be leave it be um, where when we're dealing with an individual, we don't do as well. It's like, but we found this. This is also why unnecessary testing is, is bad. That's one of the reasons that like you have that block cat and I'm being like, maybe we just don't submit any testing. Maybe just treat it for idiopathic cystitis because that's likely what it is and see what happens. Um, because how many of those cats maybe have an incidental bacteriuria that has nothing to do with what's going on? It's still idiopathic cystitis, you know? Um, but it's, it's hard to be like, but we cultured this. But did you? why did you culture it? Like, why did you even collect that sample? Um, so that's a little bit worrisome. And by the time you've got, because I've run into this many, many times where, um, for example, we have an animal that comes in, it's a dog and it comes in with lower urinary tract signs and we suspect it's got a urinary tract infection for reasons and we submit a culture and we start it on empiric antibiotics and then we get the culture back three, four or five days later and the antibiotic that we sent home uh, it has it, the bug is resistant to it and you call the client and they're like fluffy's doing great so now what and i'm like cool let's stick with this plan finish out that course and be done with it you know like you get your five days of um you know whatever we had started with and then let's see what happens because that may have been enough even though it's resistant that doesn't mean like the the antibiotic isn't doing anything against the bug and maybe it you know tamped it back just enough that the immune system could take care of the rest so those are hard though let me tell you because you're just like oh so the animal's doing well if i if i don't switch to another antibiotic and this goes poorly i'm gonna look like a jerk right somebody's gonna come back and be like what were you thinking connor like obviously you should have switched but also i'm trying to be prudent and i'm trying to be a good antimicrobial steward and so i'm like or the animal's doing fine just leave it be but that is hard that is a hard decision to make it goes against like just everything we intrinsically want to believe about how the world works but papers like this can support you in doing that be like i this is the right thing to do because the animal is doing well but it is it is hard um i liked so what other things what what did you morgan what did you find um, I think one thing that I came across that I find that I have experienced sometimes in the various clinics I've participated with, um, here it says, it is uncommon for most types of bacterial infections to occur without a predisposing condition and repeat treatment with antimicrobial drugs without attention to the underlying cause 
might ultimately be futile clinically and lead to increased risk of AMR. Yes. And I feel like I've seen that a lot of times. Yeah. Where you see it in this building too. Throwing antibiotics at it without really yeah. trying to figure out. The ivory like, tower is not why. immune to doing this too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's always important to remember that a healthy body pretty good at what it does like we're like we are pretty well designed evolved whatever you think but like we work we work pretty well and we interact with our environment in such a way that we can thrive and um and so if there's a breach in that there should be a reason and you should be bothered by that like that's that's always i I think i i say and do this a lot on er it's like oh yeah we have this this i'm like wait 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 why like why does this animal have aspiration pneumonia What's going on? Oh, we just, you know, we'll just treat it with some antibiotics. No, no, no. Why did it happen? What's going on? Because that's not normal. (laughs) That shouldn't happen. Like, why is this animal building stones in its bladder? Maybe let's look for a shunt. You know, like, what's the reason that these things are happening? Like, where's the why? Now, yeah, I think accidents happen. You know, why did the dog run into the road and get by a car? Well, that's because dogs are dumb. But, um, (laughs) But yeah, these types of spontaneous illnesses, like, there should be why. That, that why question, I'm like a toddler. Why, why, why? I want to know. I want to know the why. And that's what drives everything I do in medicine is, is that having that curiosity. But also it matters <laughs> um, because just treating the, the infection with the antibiotic might work and that's great, but maybe we can do a better job of, pre- they talked about that in, I think it was this one, preventing yeah. infections. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, recommending vaccinations in herd healthy, good hygiene. I mean, everybody knows husbandry is like the most important thing when you're talking about animal care and preventing, you know, illness and injury is just the environment. What's the environment like? Um, and I mean, they even said in this paper, they were like, we don't want to like play down how important this is, but we're not going to like write nine you know, pages just about how, you know, be, be clean. That's, that's an, very much of an oversimplification, but yeah, like preventing these vaccinations, those types of things um, are so important to helping us not get into a situation where we have to use antimicrobials. Let's just never, let's never get there. Well, there's following on that. There's another point that the article makes at one, at one part. Um, talks about, for example, use of high levels of dietary zinc as an alternative to antimicrobials for prevention of post-weaning diarrhea in pigs can result in as strong a selection pressure for MRSA as administration of tetracycline because of collocation of zinc and methicillin-resistant genes. There's this idea that not using antibiotics is mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, the prudent use, yes. the appropriate yes. use with appropriate yes. dosing, appropriate dosing mm-hmm. intervals for the appropriate mm-hmm. duration, which is literally what they talk about in, yeah. in this entire section. Yeah. That's also just as important. Yes. But then also considering sometimes there are ways that you can either prevent or help the body. Yes. In fighting bacteria that doesn't necessarily mean antibiotics. Yeah. Your immune system's really good at this, like yeah. really good at this. Um, and so that was one of the other things that I, I pointed out that I think is another hard thing for people to do. So incision and drainage is the preferred method for treatment of localized abscesses with no evidence that concurrent antimicrobial therapy is necessary for resolution. Love that. Think about that. Think about the last time you had an abscess and in, was not treated with antibiotics, an abscess that you could access and you could drain and flush. Just now imagine for a moment, you're the doctor and you've found an abscess and you've drained it and flushed it and you're not going to prescribe antibiotics. How, how does that make you feel? Did it on a cow? 
Yeah. First of all, incredibly satisfying. Oh yeah. Abscesses are really fun. Was but, it a nice cheesy one? Oh, it was <laughs> the size of a grapefruit. Nice. And that's it. Yep. That's it. Yeah. And that, that's, that's what your body is trying to do. Like eventually they'll, they'll burst on their own. Um, and you're just helping that process out and you're, you're helping. I mean, everything we're doing, even antibiotics is just helping. Um, Marley, you've probably heard this from me by now, and I'm pretty sure I've told this story on the podcast before, um, is that if without an immune system, all the antibiotics in the world ain't going to help at all. It's not going to help. And um, this was illustrated for me in very dramatic fashion when I was a resident, and we had a dog that was undergoing bone marrow transplant for um, lymphoma, stage five lymphoma, and so had a, a his bone marrow was removed, irradiated, and then um, re-implanted. So waiting for it to re-engraft. And this was the the only patient I ever had that didn't re-engraft, meaning he didn't take to the, the, the bone marrow just never started working again. So he was not making new cells. So he had no white blood cells, none whatsoever. No platelets or, or red cells either. But, um, and like, imagine for a moment how that dog felt. Just, what do you think? Like death. Nope, felt fine. I mean, totally fine. Doesn't have no fever, no inflammation. Actively um, oh no, that dog died for sure. He felt fine right up until he died. And when he did, and we did a necropsy on him, every cell in his body was riddled with bacteria. <laughs> he was, but he wasn't mounting that immune response. Yeah, he didn't have oh. an immune system. Yeah. So he felt fine. He didn't have a fever. Because he, he didn't, didn't have pain or inflammation because right. that's all mediated by your body. Right. The bacteria themselves aren't doing it. You're doing it to yourself as a side effect of responding to the inflammation, right. to the, the injury, the infection, whatever that happens to be. So eventually, it, you know, the, it was overwhelming and the dog died. It felt pretty darn good um, right up until then, but it was every tissue in its body was just wall to wall bacteria. It was incredible. And uh, yeah, and that dog was on antibiotics. <laughs> it didn't matter. It didn't matter. You have to have an immune system, even a crummy one you have to have. So even immunocompromised patients, that's very different than no immune system. He had, didn't have bone marrow. You, you don't survive that. And so, um, it's, it's, for me, it's a good reminder that the things that we are doing are just helping their own body. Like you have to, if you get sick, you have to do the work yourself. I'm here to support you through that and to provide little things like here's some extra tools that you can use to, to do this, but you have to do it yourself. And, um, and I think that's a good reminder that antibiotics don't save lives. Antibiotics, um, give patients a better chance to save their own lives. Um, and again, I mean, antibiotics are amazing, right? There was some discussion of that in one of the articles. I don't remember which one that like this, you know, has dramatically changed yeah. medicine. It's huge, but that's, you know, we get this idea that, oh, this is, this is the be all and end all. And it's like, no, it's not. And then there's the CYA medicine where I'm just, I'm afraid that you guys know, you guys are getting, like, cover your, your ass. No, oh. cover your ass. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's like, I'm afraid of being wrong. And that if I don't prescribe this antibiotic and I'm wrong, that somebody's going to come back and sue me or yell at me or be mad at me and, or I'm just going to feel bad. And um, so I'm going to, this, this is, I think a bit, I would, I don't know. I don't consider it a radical statement, but I can see how other people would consider it a radical statement. But I would say if you're out there in practice and you are never having patients come back into your clinic and you're saying, Ooh, I probably should have started antibiotics on this one. Then you are over prescribing antibiotics. 
If you are never, ever saying, oh man, I missed that one. That one should have gotten antibiotics and I was wrong. Then, then you're doing it too much because there's no way, <laughs> there's no possible way that you're always, when every time you prescribe antibiotics, you're getting it right. There's just no way. Okay. So yeah. Now I think that's another important point to talk okay. about is one of the first sections of this article they break it down into three different categories. Mm -hmm. What is the relative contribution of therapeutic use of antimicrobials in animals mm -hmm. to resistance amongst human pathogens? Yeah. In humans contributing to animal pathogens yep. and animals contributing to resistance among animal pathogens. Yes. And then humans to humans, which they don't put that in this article. But no, but yeah. also we don't like <laughs> humans yeah. anyway. Gross. Um, <laughs> because from what this article is saying... It seems like, you know, we, I love food animal medicine. Mm -hmm. I think it's fascinating. I think there's so much that we can learn from it. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm fascinated by agriculture in general. So I will always vouch for the food animal practitioner. Uh -huh. And one of the amazing things that they do is take very diligent care, diligent care of when to use antibiotics, mm -hmm. when to stop antibiotics, mm -hmm. withdrawal times, yeah. all of this. And I think that's a system that's worked really well in preventing and eliminating antibiotics in the food chain. Sure. You know, that's the whole point of it. Yep. That's why we have USDA vets that, mm -hmm. that check this. Um, and one of the things that this article says is it seems like human overuse of antibiotics is actually contributing more to multidrug resistant pathogens in animals. Probably. Yeah, probably just from a sheer numbers game, right? Yes, yeah. but, that's, but that's a real that's thing. That's the thing oh, is yeah. the numbers game. Yeah. You know, I yeah. have a close friend, works in the medical, human medical field. Yeah, yeah. this is all her fault. <laughs> and <laughs> well, it's a, he has told me like- His fault, Oh, <laughs> We give vancomycin like it's candy. Mm -hmm. Excuse me? Yeah. Now, don't think the veterinarians are exempt from this. I don't okay? think so. But, um, but it, yeah, some people will have the false impression. That, like, we are going to have comparatively a smaller impact on the global antimicrobial resistance problem than they are in human medicine. It's but we true. still have access to those antibiotics. Yes. That's the thing. Is like, yeah, as we veterinarians, yeah. we still have the right to prescribe those mm -hmm. things. Talk to Dr. Davis. You mm -hmm. know, she she lectures us for three years yep. on appropriate antibiotic use. Yeah. And she does a phenomenal job. As she job. should. <laughs> she does a phenomenal job. Yeah. And, and one of the biggest takeaways that I have from this school is don't use vancomycin. Just don't do it. You don't need to. Most <laughs> yeah. of the time you don't need, like yeah. you have to be really sure that you do. And it's, I'm just fascinated at this idea that like, you know, we put so much pressure on ourselves to, to, to keep track of what antibiotics we're using, when we're using yeah. them, when to stop them, as we should. Yes. But then there's this whole other side of yeah. human medicine. Yeah. Not to point fingers, not to say that they're bad, that they don't know what they're doing. On the contrary. Some of them don't. Well, okay. But some <laughs> of us don't either. That's right. Um, we're human. We're all human. But, you know, just keep... We can hold each other accountable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's really what these kinds of things are about, though, is, I mean, I don't really have much influence over the human medical field. Arguably, I don't really have much over the veterinary medical field. Maybe a tiny bit more, though, um, with things like this podcast and getting people to think, okay, do I really need this? This is a real problem. Um, and I, I know I have a little, at least a little impact, and I will share this other story um, because I harp on this 
all the time. I mean, you already commented on the, the <laughs> diarrhea thing. You guys hear this from me as well. And I had a resident years ago um, who's no longer a resident, but um, is now a, a specialist. But she said to me, she came in one day and told me about a dream she had had, kind of a nightmare, that she was, because I've been harping on this for a long time, she was um, in a hospital dying of a resistant bacterial infection, and I was laughing about it. <laughs> this was a dream. That didn't actually happen. This was her dream. Um, now, I, I I would actually often joke about it. was like, I don't want to, one, one day I'm going to be on my deathbed dying from a resistant bacterial infection, and I'm going to be cursing all of your names for all of these antibiotics. You know, every, every time you prescribe, I was like, where are you doing this? Um, but yeah, she had, she had a dream. So I was getting, it's my inception. Like I'm getting into her subconscious and you know, like, <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm having, I'm having a tiny influence here and there. If, if it means even once or twice, you know, you, you th think twice about prescribing an antibiotic or you don't prescribe an antibiotic unnecessarily, then I, I feel like I've made an impact. Um, I feel like you do have to shout it a lot and repeatedly over and over and over again and remind yourself over and over and over again how important this is. And because I, I find myself doing the same thing, like, oh, gosh, what if I'm wrong? What if I don't give antibiotics? I'm going to feel bad about this if this animal gets worse. Um, you know, but you at least you should be having that internal debate at the very least. And sometimes you need to come out on the side of not prescribing the antibiotics. And if you're never coming out on that side, you're doing it wrong. Like that, that's, I, there's no getting around that for me because this is a global problem and everybody's like, yeah, but it's just me doing this one. No, that has an impact. It has a real impact. And, um, and you don't get to just be like, oh, it's just this one cat. And I'm just trying to save this one cat. It's those behaviors and it becomes easier the next time and the next time and the next time. And, um, yeah, I mean, I hate to get sort of preachy and pedantic about it, but it's so important. And so I don't care. I'm being going to be preachy and pedantic about it. I think one of the other important points that we talk about a lot, especially on ER, is um, the duration of treatment yes. as well. Yes, um, I'm I glad know, you brought that up. Yeah, it's one of the main points, I think, yeah. um, that we talk about all the time mm -hmm. because a lot of the times there's not a good enough evidence for how long to treat things. Yeah. And if you're going based off clinical signs, then, you know, maybe it only takes a couple days or yeah. a few days. Well, we do this. Uh, that's a, two things I wanted to, to point out. So the urinary tract guidelines from 2011, um, the guidelines they have for the duration of treatment in there are way out of date. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but they were like, um, typically these are treated for seven to 14 days. And I was like, um, and then they're like, but probably seven days is enough and maybe even shorter. And so they, they kind of set the stage, like we're anticipating this, but in more recent years, um, studies have come out saying no, three to five days um, for a urinary tract infection. Um, so it's very similar to what um, we find in people, that three days is equivalent to five or seven days of antibiotics for a urinary tract infection in a person. Um, so yeah. So really, I wanted to bring that up from the last one because that is out of date. So if you read that 2011 article, those guidelines are... Yeah, we need I read to this that. seven to fourteen, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" How is Connor <laughs> even letting us read this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. we, yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up to point that out. But do you remember what they said in the um, the general antimicrobial use? Do you remember what their recommendations were for length of time? Because they do drive home the point that we don't know for most of these. So with the exception of like urinary tract infections in dogs, we have very few studies in um, veterinary medicine that say for this particular bacterial disease in this location in the body, this length of time should be sufficient. We have that for UTIs, but for almost nothing else. Um, so what 
do you guys remember are you, everybody's trying to find it now <laughs> i have it open i mean what what i'm reading is um you know the longer prolonged treatment can predispose to obviously bad. other yeah, we don't like bacterial it. infections right. and that kind of thing there's that but also increased risk of adverse side effects to the patient it's going to throw off their normal flora everywhere else in the body um so what should you do how long should you treat because if you were going to look up how long to treat a dog with community acquired pneumonia what are you going to find you're going to find a study no no maybe some retrospective stuff nope you're going to find a series of people's opinions that's what you're going to find and that's all there is um, for most of these things. You're going to find a textbook that says you should do this. And you're going to be like, cool, done, moving on with my life. Um, but what I'm saying is, uh, where did they come up with that? It was all made up 30 or 40 years ago. Um, and since then, we have performed very few studies, almost none, to say this is how long something should be treated for. So what's our second option? So we can just keep treating forever. So, what are you going to say, Morgan? I mean, for me, I think going back to what we were talking about where we're really just giving the body a tool to mm-hmm. fight its own infection. Yeah. You know, if we get the animal to a point where our we have clinical resolution of symptoms, yep. at that point, barring any other mm-hmm. complicating circumstances, hopefully that animal will be able to take care of the rest yep. of it on its own. All right. So improvement resolution of clinical signs. What else? What else do we have? So actually the last paragraph of one of these sections is, a common misconception is the need to complete a minimum duration of antimicrobial oh, yeah. to, pre- to prevent the emergence of dis- a resistance. Yeah, especially because the uh, durations are made up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's like, oh, we just made up that you should treat for 14 days. You have to finish the 14. No, you don't. So, um, well, instead it says antimicrobial should never be continued once there is clinical and microbiological evidence that an infection sure. has been eliminated. Right. And... I mean, I, so I, that's cool, but that means you have to go and get microbiological and evidence. So right, not, not do that ideal. So what else can we do? We can borrow. So we, where are there studies Humans. in people? Yeah. Now there are problems with extrapolating. Okay. Um, but like, honestly, we're talking mammal to mammal. So like, if you're talking about something weird or some unusual disease, maybe this doesn't apply, but what we have learned, like treating a urinary tract infection in a person works in three days. And then we've replicated similar studies in dogs and be like, oh yeah, it works for dogs too. Like, why would we think that in another situation, it's going to be dramatically different unless there's some physiologic anatomic reason that you think this species is going to be different. We should combine what what we've already talked about, how is the patient doing? What are the clinical signs? And then maybe borrow what we know from people. Because right now we are referencing some dude's opinion. And I would argue that extrapolating data from that we have robust data from another species might be better than using some random, uh, not random person, but like just some dude's opinion who's probably dead now. Like let's let's be honest, like that hasn't aged well. <laughs> we have so much more information that we can borrow from. So we may not always have the exact studies that we want in the species of interest for the disease of interest with the organism of interest, but we can, we do a lot of, I mean, that's what we do in veterinary medicine. We extrapolate, we borrow. I mean, talk to anybody who does, you know, exotics or zoo medicine. They, that, they're like the master extrapolators. That's, that's a pretty good name for them. In fact, um, <laughs> they might not like it. Um, <laughs> 
But like, that's what you do. You're like, well, we, we have this case report from one species of turtle, you know, and something for this thing. And we have a different, it's a different species of turtle, but it is a turtle and it's a different, um, you know, organism, but at least it's both bacteria. And so we're going to, we're going to go with that. And that's what you do. And we do that kind of stuff because we have to, and because it makes logical sense to do those kinds of things. It makes more sense to me to extrapolate from lots of robust studies in people than just I don't know, let's just make it up. No, let's not. We don't have to make it up. So that combined with, are the clinical signs, you know, improving, resolving? Um, maybe we reculture if that's practical or possible in the circumstances. But yeah, the, the duration of treatment is just always like, we don't know, let's go with six to eight weeks. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my goodness. What, when was, we were talking about this with uh, cholangiohepatitis, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and it was just like, yeah, every veterinary reference is like, four to six weeks or something mm-hmm. like that. And I was like, cool, let's look at what happens in people. And what was it? It was like a, a week or two. It was like oh, seven so, to yeah. 10 days. And I'm like, so <laughs> <laughs> just saying, I, but, and that's, that's hard to do, right? Because now somebody's like, well, where are you getting that from? I'm like, what they do in people. And they're like, but we have all these, you know, references. Ettinger says this. I'm like, Ettinger's old, <sighs> the book and the person, right? Like this is maybe wrong. Maybe we don't have to do that anymore. So, but we have to ask the questions. We can't just go along and say business as usual. That's, that's uh, the whole point of the scientific method is truth. It. Preach girl. That's yeah. right. <laughs> that's why we're here. We got to repeat. We got to keep asking the same questions every, you know, every once in a while. And then we go, oh, all that stuff that we thought was truth and law is like, actually, maybe we didn't fully understand it. We were, there was, there's always things we don't know about. There's always confounders we don't know about. Um, and you know, in 10 years, you guys are going to be talking about how, how wrong Dr. Connor was about <laughs> list all the things. And that's fine. I am totally okay with that. As long as I'm not like, nope, I've been doing it this way for 10 years. You know, like, it's okay to be like, I was super wrong 10 years ago. Fine. Just be open to that. We've learned new information doesn't mean I was a bad doctor 10 years ago. It just, that's what, that's the information we had, but we have to be able to incorporate the new information and change our behaviors um, and not say, but when I do this, it works. I'm like, that's not science. <laughs> that is not the scientific method. Um, that is the classic example of confirmation bias. Um, Cause every time, you know, I eat, I like I eat ice cream routinely and I don't get UTI. So clearly ice cream prevents urinary tract infections. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> I mean, actually, that's a bad example. That's something people can get behind. <laughs> new, new treatment methods. Nobody's going to um, bash ice cream. <laughs> yeah, not without consequences. Um, so, yeah, this did get a little bit preachy, but I appreciate y'all <laughs> being here for it and sharing some of your own um, thoughts and examples. Um, any last um, thoughts, comments, questions before we wrap this one up? I think one more thing that I really like to talk to talk about and Maria is a good friend of mine so I talk to her <laughs> a lot is client education yeah and how yeah we're in this so deeply that a lot of things just make sense to us yeah and most people that come into the hospital have no idea true and I think client education and education edu- educating people on this problem with resistance mm-hmm. and how it's emerging and getting worse and worse and yeah. how it reflects on people yep. um I think a lot of people are smarter than we give them credit yes. for. And there's a study on this. Yeah. Having them understand this aspect will help a lot with yeah. treatments and understanding treatments and how to yeah. treat. And then maybe Compliance. they can pass that on to their friends. And yeah. Their friends. There was a study that came out within the last yeah. five years in veterinary medicine on antimicrobial prescribing for veterinary patients and what the client's perceptions were. Right. And for the most part, like they're, they trust you like they do. And so if you say we're going to do this, they're, they're probably going to go with it. Um, so it's a really good point. Um, 
we should give them some credit, you know, kind of like when we were talking about making recommendations for doing the best care that extends to prescribing and not prescribing things unnecessarily. Um, yeah. Have you guys had experiences with that? Like running into clients being upset that they didn't get a, uh, an yeah, antibiotic that they thought? Literally thought? last week. Yeah. So <laughs> tell, tell it, share us without details or obviously um, share with us what happened. It was somebody who was coming in their dog had um, diarrhea. That was its main concern. But then mm-hmm. like it also was having some like upper respiratory signs. Mm-hmm. And she, she was telling me like, oh, when I go to my regular vet, they just mm-hmm. give her a shot of convenient. And she's then she's okay. Yeah. I'm like... So she's well, been trained for that. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. and then she was telling me, I was like, well, you know, that's not really, you know, in terms of figuring to out to what, the bottom what's, of this. Yeah, what's causing it. It's mm-hmm. chronic. Obviously you keep going back for the same thing. Like we should really figure out what's going on. And she was like, well, I could just go back to my regular rent and they'll just give me the shot. You can also do that. And that's she was true. like upset that, that you were trying to help just waltz in here and get a convenient shot. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, mm, but let me, educate but she you a little learned bit. that. Yeah. She learned that. Right. And she can unlearn that. Right. And uh-huh. actually she actually did. Yep. Um, we, yep. we sat down for a little while and had a discussion about it mm-hmm. and, um, she changed her mind Came around. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Because you just have to educate them because she was taught by somebody she trusted, mm-hmm. not explicitly, but implicitly taught that I come in for this, I get this thing and the thing goes away. Yeah. That makes perfect logical sense. Um, and so, you know, kudos to you for having the conversation, right? Giving her the credit to say, if I can have a conversation, maybe she will listen. And she did. Right. But if you just dismissed her and you're like, oh, she's just not going to listen. She's just going to go back to her vet. And you're like, fine, go back to your vet. Then nobody wins there. Right. Um, the opposite or the other thing will happen a lot as well. Um, I've, I've certainly run into this where I'm like, gearing up for a fight about this. I'm not going to prescribe antibiotics and I'm pretty sure they're going to be upset about it. And then, um, and I go in and they're like, okay. And I'm like, well, well, I had this whole speech prepared. I don't know if you can, can I, can I tell you? So I can remember a specific case years ago and I had this cat come in on ER and he was like a barn cat, but like a really cool, like, I was like, he wants to be a house cat. Give it a few minutes. He's going to be a house cat. This lady really loved this cat. So she had horses, but this cat was just this cool barn cat. And she's like, he normally is out there with me. He's running around like under my feet. He's just not himself. And he came in and he had a fever. I don't remember how high it was, but he had a little bit of a fever. And like the rest of the exam was normal. He just was kind of quiet. Vitals were fine. Other than the fever, he was fine. And so we did like a CBC chem looking for a cause. And he had a little bit of inflammatory leukogram. All of his organs were fine. Everything else was fine. He was like a three-year-old cat. And I was like, okay, all I've got is a fever and a cat who's kind of off. And I'm like, okay, I don't want to give this cat antibiotics. I don't, I don't even have like a source for where it would be. And it's probably like some viral something or other, and he's going to get better in a few days. Is she going to be okay with that? You know, cause I'm, I'm judging. I'm like, okay, she's equine. So she knows, uh, you know, enough about, you know, taking care of horses enough is she dangerous. enough to be dangerous. <laughs> is she going to fight me on this? Cause she thinks she knows the right thing. And who I was prepared. So I said, okay, here's what's going on. You're, you know, the good news is your cat's stable. The other good news is I haven't found anything else wrong. I suspect that this is a viral infection and it's going to just take time for him to get better. Um, I don't have any reason to think it's bacterial at this point. And so I'm going to recommend we do nothing. And, and then I was just like waiting for the, you know, like, uh, here, brace myself for where it's going to, and she was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, I was like, if he's not getting better in a couple of days, bring him back. We can check these other things and we might consider trying, you know, empiric antibiotics at that point. But, you know, and she was like, yeah, okay, cool. And I was like, 
it was almost disappointing, right? <laughs> no, it wasn't. Like she was awesome. And she was like, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I didn't spend hours explaining all the, you know, I didn't talk about antimicrobial resistance and I didn't have, I was ready to, but I didn't go into any of that. I was just like, I think this is what's going on. Here's my plan. Um, if it's not better, here's our backup plan. And she was like, cool, done, moving on. And I was like, dang. That was super easy. So they do trust us a lot of the times. Um, we can train them to, you know, if every time your cat comes in and it has lower urinary tract signs and it gets that antibiotic and gets better, you're going to think the antibiotic's making it better. That makes logical sense. You're wrong, but you, it, it's not your fault. You know, the evidence that you've been presented in this N of one time, you know, times the same cat. I don't know if it's still one at that point, but you get what I'm saying. Um, I don't blame people for being confused, um, but we are going to have to do our, our job and, and help with learning and sometimes unlearning. It's a really good point, Morgan. Other, other major points that we haven't talked about that we need to make sure we get in? Okay. I'm sure there's some stuff and some... Wow, I wanted you to talk about this. I'm sure we could talk about this for hours. If we Clearly really we have. To. It's been over an hour. Um, Throw away your antibiotics and don't just reuse them yourself. Please. Please talk to a doctor Please and first. thank you. Please and thank you. Um, awesome. Thank you all so very much. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, for being on the show. It was super fun having you. Um, I really appreciate it. And um, maybe you guys can come back another time. Love that. Thank that. you. Yeah, yeah. That sounds great. Thanks yeah, a lot. Like, maybe after like three days from now. Um, it doesn't have to be. Once we're doctors. Yeah. 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 It won't be <laughs> so almost close. Dr. Boomin. It'll be actual Dr. Dr. Biggs. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. <laughs>